2: Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man who needs no one's permission to leave the country, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan.
3: <laughs> I do what I want. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So, so did so did Gio and, and Davinson and Cutie apparently. Um, and welcome also to this special collaborative edition to Greg, Ben and Brian from Wheeler Theatre Radio. I guess you just say hello at the same time. <laughs> everyone's afraid. <laughs> everyone's
4: afraid of talking at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> we're infecting you with our
2: lack of professionalism. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, not at all. That was completely on me. It's good to have you guys back. It's nice to nice to be podding again. It must have been God' best part of a year, I'd have thought, since we since we last spoke. And that's uh, that's quite scary how time flies. As we all get older, um, Nathan, I want to talk to you first about yeah. the, uh, the the Royale. I'm going to call him Royale. That's uh, what we're going with, I think, on this podcast. I don't think it's going to stick. I think we're going to
3: be standing out. I think he's going to get. I think he gets defaulted to Emerson.
2: Yeah, no, well, it's, it's a tricky one, because like we should generally go by what's on the back of a player's shirt, because that's their preference for for their name. But some players do have stupid names at the back of their shirt, so we can't just always do that. <laughs> uh, but in his case, he likes Royale, right? Yeah, yeah. We did
3: lead the uh, way on for Atichi, so that, that seems to be that, coming around for
2: us. That is true, that's <laughs> true. Um, anyway, you made a video. Um, yeah you you kind of got quite excited i think by the end of the video having started off feeling like a little bit skeptical of the transfer
3: yeah i i had question marks um but basically, uh, I think he's good. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that fullbacks are pretty kind of down the line and simple. And I can't really say too much here without sort of just unraveling the entire video. But we, we looked at various sort of attributes. We looked at questions I had over him. We sort of, we looked through the data and it's like, Oh, you have this, this fullback who doesn't complete many dribbles, but gets found a lot. And, and lo and behold, as you put that together and what you find in the tape is a player who gets fouled mm. when he's halfway through a dribble over and over again, because mm. he's sort of long limbed and, and not that great at shifting his hips rounds. But, he can knock the ball past someone And then they'll just clatter him. So, um, mystery solved on that one. Uh, there were, someone in the Discord made the comparison to Kyle Walker, and I think that Kyle Walker's a a decent comparison. So Walker's obviously very, very fast, whereas Royale, not so much. And, and, and the focus there is, is less sort of on the dribble again, because Royale doesn't complete many dribbles. He tends to get fouled, but without the sort of backwards recovery pace. But I think it sort of, yeah, has the same methods of sort of providing
2: width without being a, a a dribble merchant, as it were. I really really enjoyed the video um I didn't know a lot about him at all so it was good to kind of get a handle on the type of player he is it's it's fascinating to me that he's very aggressive defensively yeah and then and then not at all aggressive when he has the ball or or quite often not aggressive when he has the ball so he plays like lots of very safe passes inside um, although I think it's fair to say that some of his positioning is quite aggressive. He makes good That's runs true. off the ball, a bit like Dorty does. Um, so, yeah, I, I think an intriguing prospect. And we're going to talk a bit more about um, Royale uh, in amongst other players. So w- we said last week that we would do a catch up on the transfer window. I don't know. The Wheel of a radio pod has already kind of done a rundown, which is, which is very good. I've really enjoyed it. But let's just go through who we signed, who we sold, and there's some interesting loans as well. And we released a whole bunch of players. And I'm intrigued to get your thoughts on whether that was a valuable exercise as well. So the players we signed, we all know these names, but Brian Hill from Sevilla, Pierluigi Gallini from Atalanta, Christian Romero from Atalanta, M. Rial, and Pape. Mater? Is it Mater or Matasar? I think it's Matasar. Matasar. Oh, is it Pap? Okay. Pap Matasar, um, who obviously is one for the future. He's not joining right now. Uh, We sold... Toby Adavereld, Dennis Serkin, TJ Ioma, Juan Foyt, Joe Hart, Jabril Okadina and Moussa Sissoko. So a good number of outs. I mean, we, we knew this was going to be a tricky transfer window in terms of clearing out the squad. And I think we did a good job there of um, of clearing the decks. But we did end up having to release a few. So on on deadline day, Serge Aurier was released um, prior uh Prior to that, Paolo Gazzaniga was released and he's now ended up at Fulham in the championship. Danny Rose was released. He's ended up at Watford in the Premier League. And I think um, to me that kind of speaks to a slight failing that they've ended up at clubs that perhaps would have paid F.E. Um, and having got a million quid for Joe Hart, I mean, for goodness sake, surely we could have got something for Paolo Gazzaniga, who's a far superior goalkeeper. Um but other players we we released were some youngsters, so Enoch Asante, Che Cooper, uh, Keenan Ferguson, George Marsh, Rodell Richards, Jack Rolls, Aaron Skinner, Kazai Sterling, and Shiloh Tracy. So we've pruned a lot of Deadwood from the squad there. And I'm interested in getting kind of all of your thoughts on how you feel this window went. Did we did we overall do good business? Were you disappointed with um the lack of, of signings in any particular areas? Um, Buddy, I'll start with you.
5: What What are your kind of overall thoughts on the window as a whole? I'm mean, I'm always a bit funny about rating transfer windows until, until a few months later. You have to kind of see how it works out. You know, we might have a couple of players in prison. We don't know. We don't know how we're going to cope without them. I think um, Gallini is not a very good goalkeeper, but he's better than Gazaniga and Hart. Um, Royale is probably better than Aurier, so that's good. And um, Brian Hill looks a pretty useful player who. Who, who has great movement. I'm not going to say I, how I like the way he moves. I sh- I, I
1: sh-
5: <laughs> <laughs> who, who moves very nicely across the pitch. And I think he's a great prospect. And £22 million is a pretty good deal. So I, I'm reasonably happy. Um, like you said, it would have been nice to get some money for Aurier. It would have been, you know... It would have been nice to move perhaps Harry Winks on and, and do something else in the centre midfield. But we've still got Bele and hopefully hopefully now something happens over the next few months and he becomes a key part of our team because he's he's way too talented to to have him rot in the reserves. Um,
2: ben, what do you think? Am I being too harsh in saying that uh, we perhaps should have got fees for some of the players we ended up getting nothing for?
0: I think when you look at the number of wages we cleared off the books and the length of time we've kind of had these guys milling around, the problem for me wasn't so much not getting a fee for them now. It was never getting a fee for them in years past. And Mm. I think that is just a problem that we kind of knew was lurking and At this point, just being able to clear the wages off the books is, I think, a win. And we can move on from there, you know, with kind of a clean slate. There's still some guys, um, like Barty said, lurking around who would have liked this shift. But, you know, that'll be a problem for next year.
2: So for you, that it's kind of a a plus point that Pratichy is a bit more ruthless with his transfer dealings. And he's prepared to just, you know, get rid of a player to wipe
0: the slate clean if needs be. I think so. I think we've seen that kind of on both ends where he was... Willing and able to convince Levy to pay the price for a guy like Cooney Romero, um, mm-hmm. when we you know we may have spent months dithering, and then conversely, on our sales, it seems like we've been happy to just, you know, cut wages from the books and accept. You know, the Musa Suzoko fee, I think, is a great example. The first <laughs> time it was reported, it was like 10 million. And then by the end of the day, it was 2 million. and It was just like, whatever, get him out of here. We're good. So, yeah, yeah very makes, pleased.
2: That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, Greg, I know you're still in a period of mourning about the loss of Eric Lamella, who I didn't mention, actually, because it was kind of a swap deal for... um. for for Brian, but uh, aside from your beloved Eric leaving, how are you feeling about the window?
4: I'm feeling pretty good if only because, and this might have been something uh, we talked ourselves into uh, at the beginning of the window, I think we were all a little worried that uh, Paratici was going to be a real grifter when he came in here based on Some of the stuff that was happening at Juve, the Mendez stuff, frankly, all of our managerial search, which you guys are very acquainted with, um, I was really worried about what was going to happen. And the fact that we're conducting pretty coherent business and that we're just getting on with stuff, you know, I, I think it's it's a very good window in that respect. Uh, Just the decisiveness, I think has been a big plus. And, you know, I think this was a very COVID window in a lot of ways, and I'm not sure how much it tells us how much we can read into the future. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we did a lot more work than I thought we would do. Certainly in the absence of selling Harry Kane. And I'm, you know, it's just, like Ben said, it's we, we had all this dead weight on our roster and it's just it's good just to move on. And both from a freeing up wage perspective and just like, you know, how long can we sort of live in the shadow of 2019? And, you know, just I mean, we will always live in the shadow of 2019. But, uh, you know, just like at least in terms of roster construction, it feels like we're, this, this is the first year I feel like we've genuinely tried to start moving forward.
2: Yeah. And I think the the age profile of the squad at the beginning of the window compared to the end is, um, is testament to that. Um, Brian, so Greg's touched on the, the the Harry Kane conundrum there. Um, How worried are you by the, the lack of striker signing?
6: Uh, Worried? Uh, I mean, but I think we've kind of been in this position for, (laughs) with the exception of last year, the better part of four or five seasons. Um, I don't understand how clubs like, a Chelsea or a Liverpool just have three or four guys willing to sit around and you know maybe take up those number nine minutes and and we've just consistently only had one um you know even just having another signing like a Vinicius um would have gone some way to you know i think balancing things out because we can't always depend on harry kane and you know the way the market on strikers went this summer with you know anybody that was actually good just ballooning in price you know we we talked about lataro went from you know oh maybe he's available for 60 to oh now it's 100 and you know uh Isaac signed a a big new contract with a big release clause. And and so, you know, those are players that actually want to play. And then the next tier down just got incrementally more expensive as well. Um, but you look at players like Milik moved to Marseille. You know, that could have been a player that, you know, the, the, that type of player could have been supremely useful to spurs Mm -hmm. um but uh, you know it, it is how we have done our business it seems like for the better part of i don't know the entire time i've followed the team uh we just well that's i take that back there was a time where we had four strikers but none of them were any good uh and now we only have one really good one um so i don't know it's 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 worrying but not as worrying to me as maybe not getting another central defender, not sorting out the midfield a little bit more um, or just offloading Kane in general. I I was kind of I was ready to do that by the end.
2: Yeah, I feel like we were all kind of resigned to it and um, emotionally prepared ourselves for it, uh, at least at some point during that window. Um, Nathan, anything you would like to add about the squad building we've seen this summer?
3: Uh, Just the turnover in, in the age has been really quite remarkable um we'd we'd gotten pretty old and suddenly we're not basically um i think that like uh, yes the sort of players leaving on a on a uh, on a free or on a contract mutual contract termination is sort of a sign of what we've done but i also think it's a sign of like where football might be going as a as a whole with with sort of deadwood players on high Mm. wages at at bigger clubs and i think that we're going to see more and more of that um just because, like, for ages, we've seen the thing where players have just sat around for for a long time on big wages, and I think the clubs are going to go like, you you can't just you can't dream on the idea of some club coming in to take, you know, Sissoko. Okay, that's a terrible example because he literally <laughs> went, but the likes, you know, the likes of Vavario, whoever, um, and they're just going to be a drain on 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 your your resources in the meantime um and so cutting a deal like this is smart for for the club and it's smart for the player because then they can negotiate wherever they like for whatever fee they might be interested in so Mm. i think we'll see more and more of this and and um it's really it's smart it's just smart to like to cut your losses even though like aurea is a completely capable you know premier league level fullback he's just not what we want for the squad right now and we have to cut our losses there
2: yeah, I think that's a I think that's a really reasonable point, and it's not something I've considered. Um, perhaps we should just do what we've done with Cameron Carter-Vickers and essentially have a contract where we can add years to it whenever we fancy. <laughs> it's all on us. Um, the other thing that I wanted to just briefly raise in terms of releasing players. So I mentioned Jack Rolls was um, released. There was a point where Rolls was worth some money uh, after one of his loans, which went really well, and I felt like we should have sold him at that point with a with a sort of sell-on clause involved and so when um Dennis Serkin was sold this summer quite a few people were kind of upset about it or surprised about it and I was thinking well this is how we stop the Jack Roll situation happening we we sell them like at an earlier point if we're if we think they're good players but they're not going to trouble the first team anytime soon, let them go and begin their careers and have uh, all kinds of clauses inserted into those transfer deals so we, we benefit in some way down the line. And I think the same can be said for the Ayoma and Okadina transfers too. Like Fundamentally not bad players at all. They're, they're pretty good and we should be pleased that that's the level of player we've developed from our youth system but probably realistically not going to play any first team football for Spurs anytime soon. So I like that change in approach, and I think that's something that I would, would like to see continue um, into the future. So, yeah, we have a very different squad to the one we, we started the window with. I think we'll talk now about this crazy situation with our Argentina players, which uh, Bardi's already referenced. Um, Bardi, so I don't know how across this this situation you are, but so I don't even know how to begin to describe it. So our players have gone off to represent their country apparently against the wishes of the club and in the middle of the match which they were playing against Brazil an official ran onto the pitch and the match had to halt and it was partly because of our players who... Who had obviously not been, uh, who who apparently had said that they had not been in the country uh, on the red list within 14 days, but obviously come straight from the UK, so they had. Mm. I mean, anyone could have checked that out with a quick Google. So a a bizarre state of affairs. Um, What are your initial thoughts on this slightly strange, surreal situation?
5: Uh, I don't. I don't really want to. It's funny. I don't really want to comment on it because I don't want to throw the players under the bus. But then. So I'm going to throw the club under the bus. It's probably yeah. better that way. Like, let's go after the organisation and the, and the people that should know better. I mean, they were tweeting well, um, congratulations on being called up to the national squads. You would have thought somebody at Tottenham would have had a little scan over the visa requirements and understood what was happening. Um, the Brazilian players never travelled. And I think the excuse was Brazil had been like cruising World Cup qualifications, so there wasn't a problem. I mean, deep down, Argentina were never not going to qualify. They were in a little bit of a sticky situation, points-wise, but come on, they would have been okay. I just think it's weird that it's escalated like this. And God bless South America for for stuff like this because you wouldn't you wouldn't see this in Europe. A load of um, civil servants busting onto the pitch and <laughs> breaking things up. It's great. It's good for football. Um, I was watching the misery of the Italian national team when this happened, and I, thankfully, I was I was happy to have a little bit of a distraction from. The misery of the of the Italy football team. How quickly the Italian um, jubilation Stop. has turned, Bardi. It's the, it's the Italian way, man. They do something great. They do something brilliant. Look at the... Hey, look at this. We've made something beautiful. Now, let's just... That's it. We've got to sit back and not do anything else for four years. We won't qualify for the World Cup. I can guarantee you. We're just <laughs> not going not gonna to make it. And it's just the Italian way and it's... I I'd always look forward to the international break because it gives me a break from Tottenham but now I just want Tottenham to come back pretty soon just because I can't I can't watch Jorginho miss another penalty I'm I'm, I'm done with it. you got in there for me. I,
2: I want to be the <laughs> one to reference that.
5: Missing a penalty doesn't stop him from being one of the best players in the world last year, Windy, so pipe down, mate.
1: Yeah,
2: okay. Um... <laughs> Uh, so I, I mean I kind of, I don't know how much more we can talk about the situation. It's kind of ridiculous. So instead, what I'm going to do is ask a question we had from um, Ramda Ryanan, who said, "What will be the effect of Lucelso Romero and Sanchez missing games due to quarantine? Will have only heal and Mora as attackers to come on from the bench to change the game?" Which I thought was an interesting um, point because most of the most of the discussion on this has been about the sort of lack of cover at centre back, but. I mean, it's fair that like we don't have a, a great kind of game-changing. Um, like LaCelso potentially could come on and change a game, but do we have other players that can do that? Is Harry Wink can do that? And um, Ben, what do you think? Is is there an issue here with uh, with us missing three players potentially through, uh, or, or certainly two players through a crucial period? <laughs>
0: Uh, I mean, yeah. It, I think it just means a lot more minutes for Oliver yeah. Skip than I'm prepared to cope with. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think my my dream was that Loselso after this break would finally find his way back into the team, um, and now my new dream is that Tongi and Donvale will be the yes. beneficiary of uh, Lo Celso's jail time. Um, I <laughs> somehow don't see that happening, and I think we're gonna we're gonna find ourselves with like a a wink skip midfield against Chelsea, and I'm just gonna lose it. <laughs>
5: Are you know you know as a Skip fan.
0: I like Skip. I just think it's a too much too soon to ask of him um to carry you know this much when we have guys like Lo Celso and Bole in the squad. Um I'm excited for Skip's bright future party. <laughs> <laughs> very very diplomatically answered. Um
2: uh, Greg, what what do you think? Are you are you concerned about our defense, our attack in this period, or is this like something that we should just be able to cope with?
5: I mean, I'm
4: I'm less concerned about defense. Um, we don't. I, I I correct me if I'm wrong I think we have a little ways before we get to the, the sort of business end of our schedule I might have you know it's it's I have had the in-laws in town for a few days so my brain might be more scrambled than I think but frankly Dyer and Sanchez have been pretty decent this year and I mean Sanchez also might have some problems so we might <laughs> be in some bigger have some bigger issues than we um think but you know I don't think we're we're going to miss Romero as much as we're going to miss um Lacelso and I mean to me my my concern is you know I think and I think this is a, regardless of sort of where you land on what kind of a midfielder skip is I, I was really looking forward to Lo Celso integrating himself into that midfield because I think Lo Celso does some things that not a lot of other players on our team can do and I again it was a Europa Conference League match but we saw how good he could be when he's dictating play and passing the ball and moving it around and I was just really looking forward to seeing him get reintegrated in the team. Now, you know, fortunately we've, we've got two other players from Seville that I can moon over until he, uh, until he gets back. But uh, th- that's my concern. I think we can muddle through. It just depends on you know how long is he going to miss, and you know I've watched all six seasons of Oz. Ha- what kind of state of a player is he going to be when he comes back? It's 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 very debatable. You know they 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 slashed an Achilles for a basketball player on Oz, so I hope that doesn't happen to Celso. But I, I don't know. I think we can muddle through. I just hope it's. I just hope it's... I don't know. It depends on how long this is going to be and if the club... I, my guess is they'll level a fine and that'll be the end of it. I, I doubt they're really going to make too much hay over it. But, you know, we've seen Tottenham do stupider things,
2: so... Yeah, It does seem really strange. I mean, there were there were reports in the days leading up to this that it seemed like the club had arranged for the players to end up in Croatia uh, to do some training where they, could, they wouldn't have to quarantine. They could be outside, they could train together. And so my thoughts were, like, if the club is seemingly involved in arranging this, surely they must have given the go-ahead in some way. But but perhaps they said to the players, look, you can go, but expect to be fine because it's against our wishes and the players have gone anyway. And I, I'm not sure about this whole the players have said that they they didn't come from the UK thing I feel like that would be probably an administrator filling out the forms and the flight right Nathan
3: it's just the whole thing is just like the natural consequence of there being like far far too much football far too much asked of footballers far too much moneyed interest in footballers performing for various different financial outfits and uh, the continuing ongoing of a pandemic it's like you can't you just can't do an international break (laughs) during time Times of red this country's in quarantine, the whole thing is completely absurd. So of course it's going to happen, and I, I, I can't imagine it's the only case of of a club being hamstrung for players in the next few weeks because they've been away on international duty, or the reverse of that—that that they the the national teams are missing players that they should have. It's just it's just a ridiculous situation.
5: Mm-hmm. Well, we are—we're on the cusp of a um, World Cup every two years, and Euros. Uh, we are, we're on the cusp of a major international football tournament every every year now. So, it's this whole—yeah, there has to something else, something has to stop. Arsenal, Wenger's behind this, of all people. So, um, yeah, something needs to change because it, we can't have people just players just disappearing all over the place now. It's not good for
2: anyone, is it? It's not good for the for the for the players or for the clubs, and it's not good for the national teams either because they're not getting the players in the best condition greg what do you think
4: well not just that but you if i'm the argentinian fa and i'm looking at romero and to a greater extent loselso like i want these guys starting on their club teams i want them yeah. getting real minutes and, you know especially now when like like you guys said like Barty was saying earlier you know like Argentina's in a bit of you know a bind with their qualifying but they're they're going to qualify for the world cup it's not that bad and it's just, I would, if I was the Argentinian coach, I'd rather be like, okay, Tottenham, I want Loselso in your starting lineup. Like, I'm going to not call him up now, but, you know, the next set of international breaks, like, I'm calling him up then, so just be ready for that. Uh, you know, obviously, this misses what Nathan was just saying, that this is all a very bad idea. It's just, the way the FAs handle this, like, I mean, just simply, like, if you're the FA and you want them for these games, like, don't send them to Brazil. Like, okay, guys, hang out in Argentina for a few weeks, or for a few days it just it it's 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 just mismanagement and i think the the argentini i mean there's probably lots of bad actors in this whole saga but the argentinian fa is just sheer incompetence i know it's it's one of the great things about south american football is they all seem to like do five shots of liquor before they make any decision <laughs> down there but and you know in our homogenized modern football world it's nice to see that it's still chaos but it's it's just they seem to be
2: the big villains to me here yeah and um that the players are paying a literal price and we're paying a sort of metaphorical price by being without them now for a few games, which is, is pretty shitty. Um, Brian, I'm going to come to you uh, in the next discussion. I think we need to talk a little bit about uh, the relationship, the budding relationship between... Fabio Paratici and Steve Hitchin who have beautifully become a meme basically amongst Spurs fans, um, but it took a it took a turn. It took a turn because the Sun have reported that some of the players are unhappy uh, with their presence on the touchline, and this is interesting because it's something that I actually said a few weeks ago, kind of slightly tongue in cheek, but also from, not from a player's perspective, but from Nuno's perspective. I was thinking like, I wouldn't want these guys. Getting involved and shouting tactical instructions to my players like that's my one remit is to be the coach and to have the to do the tactical side. But turns out some of the players don't like it as well. Brian, is this just Charlie Kane making mischief again? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I
6: mean, or or in agents, or you know, just someone who wants to stir something up. I don't. Know. I mean, it is very silly that they're down there. Like that's not a thing in American sports, it's not a thing anywhere else in in world football as far as I'm aware. And also if you're scouting and, you know, trying to look at other players, being down at the level of the pitch is literally the worst mm-hmm. spot to be. Like, unless you want to get up close to Adama and see just how big his thighs are, um, because maybe that's an important metric for how you assign transfer value. All right, baby. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, like, uh, there's no reason to be down there. And, and like you said, you know, having them in messages shouting, you know, instructions or, or encouragement is just like, go, go away. Like, get back up in the director's box. Like, it, 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 you're very much outside of your remit at this point. Like, I, I don't understand it.
2: But yeah, I don't either. I, but I do think it's, I, I sort of feel slightly pleased to Steve Hitchin that he has a friend now.
5: I have a fear. I have a fear that we might be entering the, the age of Paratachi Of he's, he, You know, he's got form for, for being a bit controversial and shouting things and going after referees. And I I just have a feeling that we might have empowered his ego. And he's arrived at Tottenham. Mm. And what's Paratici cooking? The rest of the memes. And now he wants to be on the bench. And he's he's just going a bit Silvio Berlusconi, but without all the the disco dancers on the boat. and Yeah, I'm just concerned where this is going to end up. (laughs) I have a fear this could end up with an an inflatable penis or him (laughs) applying to be a manager somewhere. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Trust you, buddy um, <laughs> ben, ben, are you enjoying this uh, Hitchin-Paratici relationship?
0: Yeah, I think you're all like overly concerned about what's actually happening on there I don't think they're like coaching from the sidelines I think we have like a Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets situation <laughs> where they're just in their box heckling everybody, making bad jokes and like it's really charming to see and I'm going to lean into that until it's proved otherwise Okay,
2: fair um Paratoci gave a really good interview to um the uh, the official Spurs guys uh, which came out on the on the twitter feed uh of He, he was actually back home in Italy he had gone home to Italy for a, a few days um and he came across really really well he was very sincere and sort of thanking everyone for helping him to settle, which I thought was a nice touch it was something he didn 't need to do, but he wanted to be very uh clear and thanking. the the club and the fans and um, the people inside the club for their support Um, but also there were a couple of I thought quite interesting points it was primarily about the um, the transfer window and he said that their big objective was to renew the team with young players with big potential which you know he's absolutely achieved that we've sort of seen that he he's brought the age profile down and he's, he's brought in some young players that we're excited about um, he mentioned that there was a need for the players uh, to have more physical and organisational work, which I thought was fascinating. Uh, it's definitely like a bit of side-eye towards Mourinho, uh, which I think is thoroughly deserved. Um, but he was kind of like very positive about the job that Nuno's been doing so far and the fact that he's been sort of rebuilding this team environment. Um, uh, he spoke a little bit about about Sar. He's one of the biggest talents in Europe that lots of teams were interested in. And he also spoke a bit about the the touchline energy that he comes with. And he says that's how he lives his life every day with that energy. And I was just thinking, oh my goodness, your poor family. Like that must be (laughs) be absolutely infuriating. Um, (laughs) But Nathan, what what are your sort of thoughts on Paratichi so far? And are, are you feeling like happy about his appointment still?
3: Yeah, yeah, I am. I think so um just just some like direction in the window like here here's what we want to do we need to improve the defensive personnel we need to change the age group of the squad and then we do that rather than like well (laughs) if some deals come up we might be interested and then we can talk to this guy and then maybe and then we'll change the bid on this one and it's like (laughs) it is much more sort of driven and and focused and and i guess optimistic i get uh, i think um willing to sort of take risks um for the potential payoff rather than sort of wait for things to happen around you, I guess. Um, so yes I mean in terms of him like screaming on the touchline I, I have some sympathy for the players but I don't have any sympathy if anyone who talks to the sun I do wonder though if someone has talked talk to Danny Rose <laughs> and Danny Rose is
2: talking to <laughs> yeah that's yeah. yeah I like this theory it's possible yeah but then who would that be like who who's left that Rose is close with because it's got to be someone who's actually playing right it yeah. has to be like I just don't think it makes any sense it's the sun isn't it I just don't think we need to take it seriously yeah. Um, we have we have lots of questions uh, from from our listeners of both podcasts, so we're going to work our way through those. Um, this one is in relation to Eric Dyer, uh, who was nominated as Player of the Month um but freddie says firstly why is greg's mic so fucking loud all the time Uh, and secondly is eric dyer still afraid of fire which was which was a regular bit on winter dinner radio for some time so greg i'll let you answer those ones
4: uh my mic is loud because i'm deeply unprofessional and need to like actually try to adjust levels and stuff during the podcast and i'm too lazy to do that so that's really what that comes down to i think i'm meaning to do something about it this season but we'll see how that
0: goes um, he tells us that Greg, every single week. Yeah, <laughs> Greg's <laughs> mic is loud because Greg's voice is loud. He is literally <laughs> the loudest person you will ever encounter in a room. Sorry, Nate. That's true. <laughs> um,
4: yeah, Eric Dyer. He looks. I mean, he still looks like he's afraid of fire. You know, like he's got that brow. <laughs> you know, I mean, he can, he can try and get his Chuck Liddell haircuts as much as he wants, but we know, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's villagers and pitchforks, and you know, maybe why why else do we think he, he he'd rush into the crowd he he just saw people threatening i mean he had to react it's, you know eric Dyer, al- always going to be a uh, monster
2: so nice i'm um, i'm 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 interested in kind of following up on a bit of a, a conversation around his nomination for player of the month so i have a theory on this that the 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 nominations committee whoever that might be cuz it's just quite opaque bizarre thing uh they went, Oh look, Spurs are top of the league. We ought to have a Spurs player in this list of, of nominees. Not conceded uh, any goals.
0: Pick a defender. Not conceded
2: any goals, yeah, pick a defender. And then they went, Hmm, Sanchez or Dyer. Well, <laughs> Dyer's white, let's go with Dyer. I mean Sanchez has been like marginally better than sure. than Dyer, I would say, across the three games uh and he's probably slightly more deserving that said i think Dyers played perfectly fine like i don't think there's anything hugely wrong with Dyers performances i just don't think it's like one of the best players in the league so far that seems hugely exaggerated to me uh but buddy you're um Dye's biggest fan of this podcast so uh we pleased to see his name in the hat um
5: yeah i'm kind of like you They they have literally just gone it could have been sanchez or hugo as well uh, they've just gone with Dyer because he, it's, it's Eric Dyer. and I, I'm happy for him. He de- he deserves nice things, you know. He does, he does, as Greg says, he does look confused a lot of the time. So <laughs> yeah. I, hopefully he understands why he's been uh, nominated for this. So good, good on Eric. It's, it's a
3: continuation of the same sort of reasoning of last season, right? When we as a team defended badly, the centre backs were like needed to be melted down for glue. And now we as a team are defending well. They're the same quality of player, but Eric Dyer is now a player of the month contender. It's like, it's, they're the same guy. What, what's happened is that we're defending higher up the pitch more actively as a team. We're fitter. Got, we're closing down opposition build up play. We're looking to turn the ball over high. Therefore, mm-hmm. Eric Dyer is good now. It's like, it's just, it's just very silly. The whole thing is very silly,
5: and that's so why what you're Nuno... saying
0: is same players, different
3: coach. <laughs> I am saying <laughs> that,
5: <laughs> and, and that's why Nuno should win uh, Manager of the Month. Wendy, shouldn't he? Uh, he has that been announced yet? Because well, I think sh- the no. the
2: player's been announced. It's Greenwood. Oh, really? Why did he get it? Who will now be dropped by
3: Man United. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I was interested that Greenwood got it. But um, I think Nuno is a a reasonable shout for manager of the month because he hasn't conceded a goal. And, you know, he's had a tough job, came in in the middle of a tough period with the Kane saga going on and has managed to get us through the first three matches unscathed so you know deserves he deserves plenty of credit
4: don't, don't forget he's the first english manager to ever qualify for the group stages of the european conference or the <laughs> european conference league so i mean if you can't recognize it achieve it like that
2: that's uh that's i don't think that's taken into consideration though by this particular panel because it's so uh, arbitrary xenophobic um, i think is what <laughs> yeah why not probably is um so this was a this is a question from Office of the Lover Boy Certification Society. I did the Iggy on Twitter. The fellows at Willie Did Radio have radicalized me against Harry Kane, and now what am I supposed to do? Yeah. I mean, I think we've been probably radicalizing people against Harry Kane as well. But um are any of you sort of back on side with Kane? No.
6: He's he's got about ten more goals he needs to score before I'm, <laughs> I'm back, you know, yeah. completely. Like he he needs to be Premier League player of the month for September and October and score 10 goals and have five assists. And they'll be like, all right, he's pretty good. I guess we should keep him around.
5: Yeah, I I was raised Catholic. So every now and then my mum would make me go to go to confession and you'd sit in this little box and you would spill your guts to a a priest over the other side who who who's enjoying himself. I mean, like listening. He was enjoying himself in this. Yeah.
4: Wow. Okay. All right. All right. No, yeah. no. I was raised Catholic too. I've been, yeah, we're, we're, I'm on the same page, Bart. Yeah,
5: you, know, you would list your you'd list your crimes back back then. They were they amounted to maybe stealing 20p out of my mum's purse so I could buy some extra penny sweets, and then uh, the priest would dish out your punishment, and it would be oh, it would be say say in prayers, ten Hail Marys, one one Our Father, and I I think like Brian said, Harry Kane has been out his punishment by Daniel Levy he has to score 10 goals and 5 assists that will be his punishment where he needs to reflect on what he's done and then we will forgive him and he can he can continue being, being a god that's it
6: putting aside the confessional thing I find it very interesting to learn that he grew up in Victorian London where you guys have apparently candy that's a penny still what, what <laughs> kind of world do you people live in
5: well i, I was i was pretty young i'm pretty old and uh, it was a penny shop you'd go in and you'd you'd get like a little bag of penny sweets little cola bottles little fizzy things these days haribo cornered the market but back in the day it was like a pick a mix thing yeah um, it's like yeah, when my grandfather
6: in. tells me that a gallon of gas was a nickel. what <laughs> yeah. are you what are you talking about yeah.
5: Don't think no,
2: this still exists. I remember this really well. I remember on my way home from primary school, uh, mm. I would I would stop by at the sweet shop every now and again and you'd get like a little paper white paper bag and you'd go through the penny sweets and you'd you'd pick like a pound's worth of penny sweets, so you'd get a hundred sweets in your bag.
5: Mm. And
2: it'll be things like uh chocolate mice and uh, those bananas, like those foamy bananas, they were they were Disgusting. good.
4: Disgusting.
5: No, they were the, uh, chocolate mice.
4: Did you grow up in Victorian London too? <laughs> <laughs> so, so. There's
5: the um do you remember the UFO fizzy the fizzy yeah. UFO thing? i'd completely forgotten about him so the other day i was walking walking the puppy my puppy eats everything it's disgusting what she puts in her mouth and she had the one of those fizzy flying saucers in her mouth and she it was the only thing she didn't swallow she just spat it out it yeah, like like, oh, cardboard. yeah they're still knocking around maybe I, my puppy wouldn't eat it
2: like they were quite aggressive on
0: a child's tongue i imagine a dog's <laughs> tongue it would be horrendous <laughs> <laughs> that poor creature the only my takeaway from this whole conversation is that everything in Harry Potter and Hogwarts isn't weird because it's magic, it's weird because it's England. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's just, this is what you guys do, yep. yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you were there with your Twinkies and we were having
2: chocolate mice.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, okay, this is from Tom 84479603 very catchy handle. Uh, Who says, everyone fit and available. What's the collective pods ideal starting 11 and formation? So this is something we've kind of touched on already a little bit in relation to the midfield. Um, But I'm interested as well to get thoughts on when and where Romero comes in. Um, Who wants to go first on this? Because there's a few sort of positions that I think are up for grabs across the season, but, um, has anyone got like an immediate preference as there as towards their starting 11?
4: Romero is a, w- is a winger. Let's listen to <laughs> as
2: smart the pitch as we can.
3: I don't think there's going to be that much disagreement. I think we're going to be pretty much in the same place. We want Romero and a partner, right? And
2: we- who would that partner be most likely?
6: Dyer. I I, mean, I know Barty loves Davinson. I, I just, does it, does it really make that much of a difference? I mean, I guess, in a world where you think like Davinson is also a very aggressive defender and so is so is Romero so maybe they don't work together but maybe Davinson's pace to get back if people get in behind I, I don't know I think either any of those plus Romero is mm. fine
2: mm. yeah uh and it'll be interesting to see if Tanganga gets any centre-back minutes in the Europa Conference League too, now we've signed Royale, because I think Tanganga still has centre-back potential, certainly in the long term, but but maybe even this, this season, and uh, that interests me too. But yeah, I kind of feel like Dyer is perhaps the, the one highest in the pecking order over Sanchez, and I'm not sure that's quite right, but then we don't know about the kind of intangible qualities that you can't see as a fan. Like Dyer does obviously have some leadership qualities because he's been spoken of in that regard by by past managers. And we see him talking on the pitch, right? I mean you can see Dyer is a lot more vocal on the pitch than Sanchez, who seems to be quite a sort of kind of shy, retiring character. Um so maybe it's gonna be Dyer and Cootie. And um I presume we all agree that Royale will come into the team like pretty sharpish. And then it's the midfield. It's it's who comes into midfield is it Lo Celso? is it Ndombele we have to reintegrate Ndombele now because it'll be a complete mismanagement of his talents not to use him in some way but uh, he's played no minutes yet at all so he'll need some conference league games presumably to get fit so Lo Celso, once he's back <laughs> from his quarantine uh, and and Ben it sounds to me like you want Lacelso in for skip as soon as possible not hoybier uh,
0: no i think like i i like skip i think skip has a lot to offer but i think when we saw hoybier at his peak last season he was a pretty consummate defensive midfielder who mm speaking of mismanaging minutes, um, you know, I think we just handled very poorly. And so having Skip and hoybier kind of share time between the Conference League, between, you know, fixture congestion, I think we'll be able to get more out of out of hoybier's legs um, over the course of the season. But, you know, Nuno so far has shown a preference for having both of them kind of hang deep and protect the center backs. And I think, between Andon and Los Celso and Delhi, you know, out of those options, Los Celso is probably the guy who is more comfortable um, you know, in that role, um, and then carrying some some of the creative burden. Um, you know, I think my my fantasy lineup would obviously include him and Andon but I think again, what we've seen from Nuno so far is the deli alley role that he has constructed is pretty uniquely suited to Delhi alley. Um, and I think he is, I see some head shaking from Nathan. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, I would be surprised if he gets displaced, um, anytime soon.
2: Come on, Nathan, any, um, any thoughts on the Delhi role? Because I mean, I kind of agree with Ben that Nuno has been so fulsome with his praise of the deli's box to box abilities. And I don't know that we have another player that can do it in quite the same way, but, uh, could he make it work with different combinations of players?
3: I mean, it's definitely like perfect for Delhi. It definitely works brilliantly for him, um, and there's been like a clear intention there. But it's also kind of a Nuno thing that that predates and goes back to previous clubs. So, I mean, we sort of saw Brian Hill play that role mm-hmm. uh, in, in the League. So, um, I wouldn't be shocked. We I mean, we were looking at buying Mariba, who could definitely play that role. So, I, w- I wouldn't be shocked to see other players in in that role.
2: Mm. Yeah, Heal. I, I just completely assumed that Brian Heal would be playing as a as a winger and a winger only, and then suddenly he's playing yeah. as one of the central midfielders and looked really, really good, bitterly against weak opposition. But uh, that was that was a fascinating discovery for uh, for us as fans. And you know, perhaps perhaps Nuno was just kind of experimenting and seeing what he could do, but he's certainly up to it. Um, there was a question from Harsh Mishra. Who was talking about the team shape as well, Nathan? Uh, he said, The way that our squad is shaped up, is it a possibility that Nunes sticks with his 4 3 3 in the Premier League and uses the Europe Euro Conference League to test his 3 4 3 in order to use our surplus fullbacks? And just to get the takes on this. So, Nathan, do you think there's any chance that we
3: use some 3 4 3? I think we will definitely see that formation here and there sprinkled, I think. The thing is, with like, um, so we. Uh, you utilising in this formation that's a 4-3-3 with the defensive right back uh, and attacking left back and then the wing sort of slightly tilted over towards the right hand side but <laughs> not enough of my liking. And now we've brought in a more sort of balanced back and forth fullback who's yes. not just going to tuck in and play sort of wide centre back as it were. So it's like does the 4-3-3 still work with sort of two fullbacks pushing on? Um, does that mean if we are playing two fullbacks who push on, does that mean we're going to be seeing Skip and Oivio forever? Um, would would that necessitate a move to 3-4-3? Three, three? Who drops from a midfield role if that's the case? Um, it's kind of hard to say, but I do think that we'll see all kinds of experimentation uh, along those ideas across the year, basically.
2: I'm going to be honest. I don't think we've seen a lot of, of um, asymmetrical fullbacks so far. Okay. Like I, I just feel like they've just been playing as normal full-backs. Certainly, like not as a in a pronounced a way as Ben Davis did, for example, under Mourinho, sure. where he was really, you know, very obviously asked to play a withdrawn, tucked in role, which which suited him very well. Um, I don't recall seeing anything in particular this season. Maybe the first game a little bit more, um, because Tanganga had Sterling and and Grealish on his side.
3: Okay, yeah, I I, I don't think I, I agree that it hasn't been as pronounced which mm. ones I do I do think there's something there still but
2: okay well, the other interesting thing is is which side son and lucas play on because I think he was... Uh, sorry bergvine yeah of course um because they they played the opposite way to what most people would have expected in the previous game so bergvine played left son played right son's been a left winger for spurs for the vast 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 majority of his career um we see we have signed on the right i mean we saw him absolutely tear chelsea apart from the right um greg any thoughts on on why it might have been this way round yeah i
4: might be completely overreading something in, into the way he's used bergvine so far this year i think Nuno has very clearly been trying to rebuild his confidence. And I think some of that is, I think he's trying to make him a little more positionally comfortable and asking Son, who's clearly the better player here, to just be a little more more outside of his comfort zone and try and make it work. Because I think he's trying to rebuild Bergvine's confidence a little bit and putting him in a position where he is a little more natural, I think, is part of that.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really strong case. And Brian finally in terms of the, the wingers do you think the strongest lineup is Bergvine and son would you have Lucas there would you have Brian heel there
6: um as, as good as it would be for a, a Brian to be in the team <laughs> um, I, I think yeah I think Bergvine and son gives you kind of the right balance that you want I, I look I don't like Lucas um, but <laughs> I see how managers, and we've talked about this on our show, I see how managers talk themselves into him every year. And he hasn't been awful. Um, He's actually done some really good things in some of the matches that he's been playing in. Um, But I think Lucas is what Lucas is. And so you know Bergvine actually has potential to to grow and and to fit into this team and this role in a way that that Lucas just is never going to get to mm. um and so I'd much rather see uh Bergvine in the first 11 than than Lucas and you, you know if Bergvine goes down with an injury then all right let's try Brian Healy in there let's see you know Lucas coming on in the end of a match to run at tired legs and do stuff, I think is, is a great thing to have off the bench. Um, and and so I would much rather him fill the, the kind of super sub role than, than either of the other two. Yeah. I really like that too. How
0: about you, Ben? I think, I think part of the equation is there's a a real footedness problem with the squad. Um, you know, in an age of sort of inverted wide forwards, we have a lot of right footed players. Um, and Son is two-footed enough that he can kind of accommodate the other side in theory, but never seems to look as good. Um, and so, you know, I think we solved this problem by signing a left footer and Brian, who somehow is still a guy who nominally plays on the left. Um, and I would imagine the long-term view is to, you know, kind of rework his role into a guy who can come in off the right side onto his stronger left foot. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked if by the end of the season that's where we end up, um, just because that just provides more natural balance to the side.
2: That's a really interesting point. And I wonder if that uh, might mean that Sessegnon gets more minutes in a, in a wider forward role than we might have anticipated this year, especially since we have Davis, who are still in the books, he could play fullback. And we know Sessegnon has played some left wing. He's also played some right wing. Um, and that gives a nice option for, for European conference, Europa Conference League matches. Um, before we wrap up, I want to talk a little bit about your podcast. You, we mentioned the sound earlier, and in, particularly in relation to Greg's microphone being very loud. Um, what was really funny to me was that uh, some of our ex-subs were having a conversation about how utterly awful the audio quality is in your podcast but they still love it but they still love, like and I think that's testament to a good like it shows it is a good podcast that despite the struggles of audio people go back to it um however one thing I wanted to touch on was um the, the vast reduction in the number of bits on your pods over the last <laughs> year um it has been a considerable decline and I wanted to find out if there was a reason for this
4: I think part of it is uh, Kaylee was very good at uh, leading into these bits. I don't know. I think we just, we, we've had a little bit of turnover in the podcast. I wish I had a better answer for this. And I think we've just, in the turnover, we just fell out of the habit of bits. And, you know, we need to come up with something about, like, I don't know, Bergvine's the airbender or something. I, I, you know, we get, we, we've we really slacked off on this. It's I've got no one to blame but myself. I, I'm definitely the person who enjoyed doing it the most.
6: So. I, I think, think part reasons are, two, I think there's two reasons. There's, first of all, um, is that the last couple of seasons have just been depressing. And it's hard yeah. to try to be <laughs> funny and find small reasons for joy, like Garrick Dyer's Fear of Fire or, um, you know, whatever else that, so we, that we used Kira to Cash, talk about to Yep, yeah. Kyrgyz, yep. And, and so that there's that, and then also we kind of went the opposite direction from you guys. We stopped taking listener questions because <laughs> we got we got invariably questions from the same three or four people every week who we <laughs> love and appreciate. It's awesome, um, and then also we just answered the same question all the time, like you know who replaces Musa Dembele or you know what are you know, and it's just like all right, there's only so many times we can talk about um you know that particular question and make it interesting and so that was the stuff that we tended to riff off of um not that we're in any way a sort of serious uh, analytics podcast or, or anything that takes itself at all seriously but when we're talking about the game we've all like formulated our jokes in our head and then we're just doing that and then when we actually came up with the good stuff was when we were forced to think on our feet nice that is a solid answer um so ask us better questions. That's the moral of the story. If you want <laughs> if you want more bits, ask better questions.
2: It's their fault. Yeah, I like this. Always blame no, the I,
4: I will say the thing that broke me on questions once, because Brian's really nailed that. And the thing that broke me on questions once, and I should have known I was getting this. I was just getting a little tired of just be, like the, a lot of the questions we were getting, like he was saying, were like, you know, it would be like, do you think we're going to sell cane? And it's like, OK, we're going to talk about that one, guys. And I asked one week, like an idiot, you know, like, hey, give us some questions that we're not already going to talk about. And then, of course, everyone gave us questions on purpose that we were that we were going to talk about. and. Yeah. So it's our listeners fault. You're right.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm glad the podcast is still going after all these years. Uh, You you kind of um, you seem to be uh, getting a little bit more organized. You now have a Twitter account for the podcast, which is (laughs) WDR pod, which you always mess up in every episode. Do I? Well, it seems like you, you always forget what the what the handle is. It's at
6: Brett Rainbow. True,
2: that's true.
6: And those are the ones that make it to air. Like, you're not even getting to hear oh, the yeah. ones where he legitimately messes them up, like, <laughs> while we're just
2: trying. <laughs> Well, I, I kind of, I appreciate like I think uh, podcasting is hard <laughs> and and I I appreciate the mistakes that get left in wow. like Brian failing to unmute himself regularly. I like the fact that that has become well, a thing.
4: We could be the most professional podcast in the world and pay someone to do our production. And I would still instruct them to leave all of them, all Absolutely. of Brian's muting issues in it.
2: <laughs> but in all seriousness, like that's the stuff that kind of makes people feel like they're. They're your friends, and like they know you. And like I, I do prefer podcasts generally where they're not like a hundred percent polished. Um, like for example, where they might talk about a priest masturbating in a
5: <laughs> in a. In a
2: who said that I didn't
5: say you're just (laughs) making stuff up now I I mean
2: you heavily you heavily hinted towards it Bardi
5: I mean he was really enjoyed my tale of how I used to go around the corner to the just go to the corner shop take the price off so my mum wouldn't know how much I paid so I could pocket the change he was genuinely interested in that and his hands were visible at all times okay that's good to hear
2: no I'm pleased I'm pleased that you saw his hands that's uh that's important (laughs) I mean maybe they were fake hands, is the only thing i would say but you saw some hands you were, you were you were crystal clear in your in your thoughts um guys it's been a pleasure it's been really nice to catch up with you um we should do this more it's quite a handful having so many people on a call at once but um lots of fun uh, and obviously if people are, haven't listened to widow dinner radio they definitely should it's a it's a very good it's a very good podcast uh and we'll see you soon you've been listening to the x Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for the production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, The Do check him out, he's great. great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.